you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, welcome into this edition of 48 Days Online Radio. We've got lots of questions from you, the listeners, that we're going to be covering today. You know, I keep hearing from people who describe their situation in a way that they convey clearly that it's easier to be miserable than to change. Does it take effort and a plan to change? Yes, absolutely. Would you rather exert that effort to get to a new level of success? Or to just stay in what we call comfortable misery? Well, this is where each week we look at those real life questions that you, the listeners, ask where we take 48 minutes to examine the value of our work. I mean, we know, we all recognize and agree that work is not just an exchange of time for a paycheck, but it's our best opportunity to live out our calling and to create the legacy we want to leave behind. Here's some of the things that we'll be looking at. Our theme is going to be to work harder on yourself than on your job. Now that you're going to see that come up repeatedly in today's podcast, the focus should be on who you are becoming, not just what you happen to be doing today. Now, here's an example. This question says, I currently make decent money, but my job leaves me brain dead. Dan, I've heard the middle class puts their focus on saving while the rich put their focus on earning. Yeah, well, fun talking about that. How do you process all the information from the books you read and the podcast you listen to? I am a nurse by profession, even though the world needs nurses, I don't want to be one of them. Dan, I read somewhere that a great way to boost your potential was to picture yourself as already having success and walking, working backwards in your mind. And then this one, listen, this is cute. I'm tempted to go out on my own, but I'm afraid that then I'd just be a guy taking a walk, not leading at all. Well, we're going to be looking at those and more. If you've got a question, you can go to the 48days.com site, click on the podcast link. You'll see a couple ways to do it. You can just click on the little speak now button and just give an audio question, or you can write it out there, which most of you still prefer to do. But once in a while, we'll include a couple audio ones if they're kind of short as well. Here's a quotation for the day. Now, this is an anonymous quote, and I sourced it again this morning, trying to see if somebody was given credit for this. Everybody claims it's anonymous. Be that as it may, whatever. Uh, Maybe I'll tweak it and make it one of my own. That's the way quotations get passed on a lot. But it is this. If you work hard at your job, you can make a living. But if you work hard on yourself, you can make a fortune. Now, we're going to talk about some of the ways you can make a fortune today in today's show. So stick with us. I like to start off each week with some success stories. You'll ask for those. I'll give you a couple quick ones here. This one comes from Sarah in Chicago. She wrote this to Dave Ramsey. Dear Dave, thank you so much for recommending the book 48 days to the work you love. I started working for a new company eight months ago and was thrilled to be making my highest salary ever. $96,500. The problem was that I hated going into work every day. I knew that I needed to find different work, but I was fearful that it would be incredibly difficult. 
The job market in Chicago is still pretty soft, and I wondered whether my chances of finding new employment would be further jeopardized because I hadn't even worked for my current employer for a full year. I read 48 Days to the Work You Love and really put its principles into practice. On day 48, I had a phone interview for a position that I thought I'd love. Exactly one month later, they made me an offer. I start working there on Monday. By the way, I'll be earning $123,000 with four weeks paid vacation instead of two weeks of my old job, and my commute will be reduced by 50%. Best of all, I'm looking forward to the day-to-day work. I just loaned a copy of this book to my sister, and I'm taking it up talking it up with anyone who will listen. Please keep recommending fabulous books like this one. Sincerely, Sarah. Here's another one. And of course, Dave's office always shoots me those notes over if they relate to his recommendations. This is another one that went to Dave. It says, Dave, I gave my dad the book, 48 Days to the Work You Love by Dan Miller. And roughly 48 days later, he landed the most incredible job making over 100000 a year. Thanks for recommending it. Here's one from Joe. Joe Joe says, Dear Dan, I can't tell you how happy I am that I happened upon your book, 48 Days to the Work You Love. I went from an unsure future at a dead-end job to an exciting new career in 32 days from the time I picked up the book. I truly believe it was a godsend, and I appreciate the work you do. Your book was filled with timeless wisdom and inspiration that helped me take the necessary steps toward the work I love. My life is forever changed to do the work God has designed me to do. I wake up excited to go to my new calling each and every day. Thank you for writing this book and making a difference in people's lives. And one more here. We got one more. This is from Lori in Anderson, South Carolina. Dan, thank you so much for writing 48 days. Now this is a little different twist and you'll hear that. I know I am one of many who can say your book has changed my life. I've been a stay at home mom, homeschooling, for 13 years and bought your book thinking I would need to get a job to help our family's finances. Thanks to the insight I received from your book, I have found a business I can do alongside homeschooling. To say thank you, I'd like to offer you and your wife 25,000, 25,000. I'd like to offer you and your wife $25 worth of free children's books for your grandchildren. And she goes on about how we can do that. Thanks for writing 48 Days. My husband's been so impressed with the positive changes he's seen in me this year. Now he's reading it and rethinking his career. Well, thanks for those notes. I'm talking to the publisher of 48 Days to the work you love right now about a complete revision along with new study materials, seminar, DVDs, and all that. Exciting to be looking at that again because it continues to prompt these kind of notes virtually every single day. Got one this morning, just pulled it up on my iPhone as I was uh, driving in to meet with my guys this morning. Um, I'll, I'll keep sharing those as we go along. But success stories, we want to hear about people who really are doing things. And I'm going to be telling you about some more too in the context of a couple questions here in just a minute. Now, I'm going to be going to a whole bunch of conferences right here in the first quarter of the year. I was talking with my buddy Kent Julian out of Atlanta this morning. We both just enrolled in a new program called Wealthy Speaker. It's a wealthy speaker coaching process. It's 10 months long. We just both enrolled in that. One of the things that sometimes I cringe is when I see people who have a little bit of success and then they somehow have gotten past the point of needing any kind of training, teaching, coaching themselves. Ouch. I mean, that just blows my mind. 
I mean, I, the, the, the people I see who are incredibly successful, I mean, I, I went to conferences years ago that were done by Mark Victor Hansen. Now, he had already sold like 100 million copies of Chicken Soup for the Soul, so he's pretty well sitting on top of the world. He would be in the conferences that he, that he put on when other speakers were on the stage. You know where Mark was? Sitting in the front row taking notes like crazy. Taking notes, learning from the other speakers that were there. I, I spoke at a conference recently, and it was a two-day conference. Joanna and I showed up. At the beginning of day one, I was speaking in the afternoon of day two. We sat in the back of the group in days one and two, up until the time when I walked up in the stage and spoke. The organizers were amazed that I didn't just show up five minutes before my speaking time and speak. No, I learned a ton at that conference. Man, I love to go to conferences like that. So I continue to go to lots of things. Now, here's some of the things that I'm going to. Now, some of these we're doing ourselves, coaching with excellence. I mean, that's coming up just here the 18th and 19th of January. So I'll see some of you there. Uh, we've got a big group coming to that. Some people who are repeating, coming back through again, people who want to take their coaching skills and turn that into real, realistic, extraordinary income. And we show you how to do that. And then, of course, we have Innovate coming up in March. I'm excited about that. Got people like Chad Jeffers and Dorsey McHugh and my wife, Joanne, Mike Hyatt, will be speaking at that conference. Anybody who has creative skills, we're getting a lot of buzz on that one. It looks like it's probably going to sell out in the next couple of weeks. But anyway, that's Innovate. I'm going to a conference called Internet Profits in Chicago in April. And uh, excited about that. Of course, we're doing the Wealthy Speaker Package. I'll be going to Mike Hyatt's launch conference uh, speaking there and participating in that one in that's in april as well that's in rome georgia and then kent julian's boot camp is in atlanta we're doing the no more or the um, wisdom meets passion cruise in february now these are all things just in the first quarter really well the first four months of this year that I'm doing personally, I'll put links to those in the podcast notes so you can look at all of those. But by all means, I mean, I talked to Jen McDonald this week. She lives in, geez, I think it's Wisconsin. And she was, hadn't listed out all the conferences she's going to this year. What's well, a significant investment for her. And I commended her on that. Like, my gosh, I mean, that's going to transform her own success to invest in the process of going to these workshops and conferences I'm a big believer, as you can tell, been doing it for years and years and years. When I was absolutely broke, I figured out ways to do it anyway. I'd rather go to a seminar or get a cassettes program and listen to it. Back then when we had cassettes, I'd rather do that than eat lunch. And if I had to give up one to get the other, it would be giving up lunch because that's how important I always considered those things to be. Well, let's go to your questions. Mike from Waxahachie, Texas says, Dan, I've listened to your podcast for years, really get motivated to make a change, but the motivation quickly runs out. I'm 52 and my job choices over my career have left me empty and just going through the motions. I currently make decent money, but it makes me brain dead. I keep thinking I have something special inside and want to make a difference, but I'm not sure how to find it. I feel like I'm the jack of some and master of none. How do you go about mastering or developing marketable skill sets. Also, I know that in your book, well, let me talk about that a bit. And then he has a, another question there. How do you go about 
mastering or developing marketable skill sets. I spoke to a group on Monday night. I spoke to a group. It's a career transitions program at Brentwood United Methodist Church right here or near where I live. It's a program that's been going on for 25 years. They've been written up in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times. It's a really illustrious program, and they have a lot of people there. And I usually am their kickoff speaker the first Monday night of the year, as I was uh, this last Monday night. So I spoke to that group, and I told them that their major competition is not other workers. It's the distractions that keep them from having a clear focus. And I find a lot of people get stuck there. They do a little bit of everything. And so they do a lot of different things, but they never really go deep in one area. And and what happens now, I, I talk a lot about the idea of just distractions, just literal distractions. I mean, we know that if you get an email, the phone rings, you get a text, a tweet, or whatever, those kind of things, it takes about 18 minutes to get back to the level at which you were working previously. Now, when you think about it a minute, how many of us, go through an entire day and never have an 18 minute block of time that is totally focused and uninterrupted. Well, if we don't, then we're going to be very superficial. We're going to work at a very short depth. I mean, we're just not going to really do anything significant. And I see people who just never go beyond that. The one thing that has contributed to my success in the last few years, more than anything else is working in focused uninterrupted box of time. So I would tell you, Mike, make sure that you're allowing yourself blocks of time. Now, when I talk about that, I had somebody ask me recently about that. Are you talking about, you know, 14 hours? No, I'm talking about two or three hours. I work in two or three hour blocks. I don't work in eight hour blocks. I mean, I, geez, I'd go stir crazy. I have to get out, walk around, do something different, but two or three hours. And that's where I find my productivity really accelerates. It's after that first 18 minutes when I can really go deep in something and then really develop a thought or a project or concept that I'm working on. So I'd encourage you to do that. Make sure that you're giving yourself those blocks of time to go deep in areas of interest that you have. So you develop the skills necessary to be remarkable rather than just being jack of all trades. Sutton Parks, Sutton says, Dan, happy new year. Sutton lives locally here. Sutton is a a mainstay at our conferences. He has figured out a way to make himself part of pretty much everything that we do here. And I'll tell you what he does. I mean, Sutton has a commercial cleaning business. Among other things, he's also a gifted songwriter and singer, guitar player, but he has a commercial cleaning business. He comes and cleans the sanctuary prior to our events. He's here during the event to help. Now, now check this out. He's here to help, you know, make sure the food is all out. Snacks are there for people. Cleans up during the day. Cleans up after the event. Well, guess what else he's doing? He's getting to participate in the entire event. And we welcome his participation because of his contributions in that way. Anyway, I've sent sent a book recently, Steve Siebold's book, How Rich People Think. I talked about it. He commented on it, so I just shot a copy over to him. He says, Dan, in Steve Siebold's book, How Rich People Think, he says the middle class put their focus on saving and the world class or rich people put their focus on earning. For the last year, I've kept an Excel spreadsheet with all my expenses so I would know how I spent my money that month. Am I putting my focus on the wrong thing? Should I stop tracking my expenses 
and think only about earning money through service to others, as that chapter talks about. I think I'm operating out of fear instead of abundance, like the author mentions. Could my Excel spreadsheet be contributing to my lack of focus on abundance? Golly. Sutton says, I'd love to hear any input you have. As always, I appreciate you, Joanne, Ashley, and Nathan. You guys rock. Well, thanks for your note, Sutton. I think you're on to a very important point. Middle class puts their focus on saving. The rich put their focus on earning. I intend to, let me just say this, categorically, no reservations. I intend to earn my way to wealth, not save my way to wealth. Now, let me give you a couple examples. In December of this last year, and I'm going to be real transparent here. In December of this last year, I got a note from my accountant and, you know, being an entrepreneur, I mean, we blow and go and I'd paid a lot of money into the IRS, but he said I owed the IRS roughly another $25,000 to finish out the year. 25,000 bucks. Now, how long would it take me to save that money based on the average income I already had coming in? We're at the end of the month. I mean, money's already allocated and he says, I need another 25,000 bucks. So I could start a serious savings program. What if I contributed $5,000 a month? I mean, we're talking next June. I would still have last year's tax obligation hanging over my head. What about this year's? I don't want to start the year like that. So instead, my immediate thought was, okay, how can I earn $25,000 in a very short period of time? That's where my thinking went. Not how can I save, take away from what we're already doing. How can I add that on top? How can I earn that very quickly? Now, if you've been listening to the podcast, you've probably heard me talk about, I did a little coaching program. I called it living the dream. Got up one night about three o'clock in the morning, which is when I often get great ideas. Got up, sketched it out on a pad, took me about 15 minutes to sketch it out, living the dream, 2013. I was going to help 13 people, 13 only, 13 people plan out what they wanted to accomplish in 2013. How are you going to get there? How are you going to make that happen? Two sessions with each person and then a group call on January 15th, which we've still got coming up. I put that out, 13 people only. The cost for each individual was $2,013. Now, did I want to really give value to those people and serve those people? Absolutely. I met some of the most wonderful people in the world in that process. But I put that out, and in less than 24 hours, those 13 slots were taken. In less than three days, all the transactions were finalized. Everybody had paid in full. So in less than three days from the time I thought of it, I'd put $26,169 in new money into my account. That's exactly how I approach any situation like that. How can I earn the chunk that I need? If I need a thousand dollars, I'd go to a local repo auction and buy a car, clean it up, make sure everything checks out, put it in my front yard and sell it. I mean, that's what I've always done in times like that. And I, back in a few years ago, I woke up one morning and I owed $430,000 in debt and had absolutely no assets. I mean, nothing. The IRS had already taken my house, cars, everything. I had nothing. I owed $430,000. Now I could get a good job. I at that point had a master's degree in psychology. I'd been teaching as an adjunct at the university. I could get a good job, you know, save money, start the process of repayment. 
and I would never again see the light of day. I mean, I couldn't live long enough to repay $430,000 in debt. What what if I took a job making $60,000? Let's just say that I'm going to pay $20,000 a year. I'm going to pay a full third of my income on that debt and live like paupers during the time when my kids are growing up. So we're going to live on $40,000 a year, family with three kids, paying $20,000 back on debt. It would have taken me 21 and a half years to repay that, not including the accumulating penalties and interest, which were certainly escalating because a lot of that was owed to the IRS. About 110000 of that was owed to the IRS. I always think in terms of earning, not saving. And that's what I did in that period of time. I jumped right back into the game as an entrepreneur. I got a job first as a commission sales guy, just knocking on doors, rough, dirty work that I certainly wasn't thrilled about, but I just got out there and just made it happen. I'd hang flyers on doors the night before in advance of canvas in an area, go back and hit them the next day and just sell, sell, sell. And got to the point where, you know, I was making ten, twelve thousand dollars a month again in about four months. But that's what I wanted to do rather than just so I, I needed to earn my way out of that hole I had dug for myself, not save. Now sure, now let me be realistic about both sides here. I mean, sure, Joanna and I use coupons when we go out to eat. Golly, she's amazing about that. She shops during sales. I mean, she's very frugal, but that has little to do with attaining wealth. I mean, that's just more a matter of good stewardship. Take good care of what you're given. Absolutely. I want to be responsible. I don't want to be wasteful. Never want to do that. I want to be a good steward of whatever God allows me to enjoy and have my hands attached to. But when it comes to attaining wealth, I don't know how to do that in saving. The only way I know how to do that is to earn more. Now I met yesterday, Joanna and I met with, with a financial planner, a state planner. We're looking at some things kind of long-term, even after we're gone. But in order to accomplish some things that I want to accomplish in the next 10 years, we agreed, we both agreed that the best way for me to do that would be to double my income. Boom. End of story. I mean, he was, he's a really cool guy. He's a really, really cool guy. And he knows how I think. So instead of this excruciating plan to squeak things out and invest here where I get an 8% return and here I can get a 10% return. No, the quickest way to do to really accomplish what, and what I want to do in the ten, first next 10 years is to double my income this year. Now, the reason he went with that is because I already have a plan to do that. I have it pretty well mapped out and, and I really believe I can do that. Now, again, if you've heard me talk about goals, you know that I set my goals pretty high and I don't always hit them hundred percent, but I really think I can do this. I mean, there are some things that are right under my nose. I haven't looked at in a long time and all of a sudden I'm seeing that they're there and I think I can double my income and that's my plan. That's my plan. Uh, we didn't do anything to change percentages or how we're saving, investing, nothing. It, and it really has little, very little bearing on that. I want to double my income. So I think you're, I think you're exactly right. I think you're on the right path. Uh, I hope this doesn't step on any toes. This is not new revolutionary thinking, but it's certainly the way that I think. And it's served me really well over the years. If 
If I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, well, I'd buy you a house. I would buy you a house. And if I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, buy you furniture for your house, maybe a nice Chesterfield or an ottoman. And if I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, well, I'd buy you a K car, a nice reliant automobile. You know, back in the years when, I mean, there were years where, when Joanna and I really struggled. I mean, there's no secret about that at all. My gosh, with some of the screw-ups that I did along the way, I, I created some big holes. And during those that period of time, it's just the difference in how Joanna and I think. She's very much a realist. Now, this is interesting because she's artistic, creative, and I'm a left-brain guy, you know, very analytical and all that. But in many ways, I'm a dreamer and she's a realist, which seems to almost reverse those roles. And we complement each other. Gal, we have an amazing relationship, love batting ideas off each other. But during those periods of time, we were really at the bottom of the barrel. It was hard for her to maintain hope. I know that. You know what I was doing during those periods of time when we didn't have two nickels to rub together? Golly, I'm cutting pictures out of papers, out of, out of magazines, and putting it on the refrigerator. This is the kind of car I want to have. Golly, I want to have a, a Mercedes 500 SL. Golly, we're going to live in this kind of a house, you know, kind of a farm-looking house, but with some stonework and water features outside and all that. I was continually doing that during that period of time. When we couldn't buy ramen noodles, I just never lost the hope, the belief, not just the hope, not just wishing and dreaming, but, but actually doing things to get us back in that position. I know that was hard for Joanne and I know there were times during the, where we didn't own a house. We couldn't own a house. If we had anything, the IRS would seize it. We lived in ratty little houses that we rented and so on. And Joanne with her love of being a hostess and entertaining and having parties, it was just crippling for her. But I, I would keep putting up those pictures about things we were going to have, places we were going to go, things we were going to do. I just was confident we were going to get back to that. That's just the way I'm wired. And again, I think that optimism has served me, not in an artificial way, but I think it's served me very well. You know, there's a principle in, well, there's a principle in a couple of different books that I, I'm thinking about in Man's Search for Meaning, written by Viktor Frankl. German psychoanalyst, he talks about his years in the, in the German concentration camps and how he saw in that period of time, those who survived, it was not a factor of age, health, education, or anything. It was simply those who believed that there was a better tomorrow. Those who believed there was something better coming up ahead. Now there's a comparable phenomenon laid out in good to great Jim Collins book, good to great where he talked, it's called a Stockdale paradox. It's a little bit of a twist on that because in that Jim Stockdale, who was also tortured over 20 times and was in a prison camp for years, talked about the same kind of phenomenon. However, those who were just simply optimist, those who believed, Hey, we're going to get out by Easter time. And then Christmas would come and Easter would come and nothing happened. They'd lose hope, despair and die. But it was those who were planning, who were sketching out. When I get out, I'm going to have this kind of a business. When I get out, I'm going to play golf and I'm going to improve my golf score by doing this. It was those who were visualizing real things they were going to do, not just an empty hope and optimism. 
So when I talk about the kind of things that have served me well, I, I don't think that it's just some kind of empty, positive mental attitude. It's me identifying what am I going to do to create the future that I want. So that's, that's different. And I want to make, make clear that point that this is not just wishing and hoping. Well, let me go back to the questions. Wade from Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, Canada. Moose Jaw. How'd you like to be be from Moose Jaw? Well, anyway, Wade, thanks for your question. Hi, Dan. Love the podcast. Thanks for all your insight and information. You've talked about your practice of reading a lot of books, listening to podcasts, and encourage listeners to do this as well. How do you process all the information that's coming in through these channels in order to put it to some use? I find sometimes the more books, podcast articles I take in, the less information I hold on to in the end. There's almost information overload. Any tips? Is quantity more important than systematically storing the information? Wow. Great question, Wade. And I can only answer for myself. Now, I love to read. I read a lot. I listen to usually two podcasts a day starting in the morning. Uh, Last year, I read 64 books. I mean, I'm on track. This is the, as I'm recording this, it's the ninth day of the year, and I've already read eight books this year. Now, I won't keep up that pace, but it just kind of happened that way. Yeah, I read a lot, but I read, I, I don't just read to get to the end of a book, and I don't read novels. So I'm reading things that really relate to doing what I do better and more effectively. So in reading, I underline, I highlight things a lot. I use now I use, and people send me these, these really cool things, but people have recognized I love these things. It's a highlighter pen, but it has coming out of the side of the pen. I have one in my hand here so I can describe it. Coming out of the side of the pen are post-it notes. So they're narrow, but you just pull one out of the side of the pen. So I have these pens and all the books that I'm reading. So I have blue, pink, yellow, green, and all that. So I can just pull the little highlighter out and highlight the page. That's how I go through books. So I pulled out a book this morning that I'm going to be reviewing, a book that I read about three years ago, and I have probably 20 or so post-it notes sticking out of the top. So I can very quickly go to those pages, see what I highlighted, and see the essential content that impacted me when I read that the first time. But I do that, and in doing that, in highlighting and then post-it noting it, those pages, it makes more of an impression than just the raw reading. So I remember those things. When I'm on the treadmill in the morning listening to podcasts, I have a pad in front of me and I'm taking notes. And I usually have a whole page full of notes by the time I'm finished with an hour on the treadmill from things that I'm listening to. So I'm listening to things like John Dumas, an entrepreneur on fire or Cliff Ravenscraft on his podcast or Pat Flynn on smart passive income or Mike Hyatt on it's your life. I mean, those are the kind of things I listen to and I always take notes. So in taking the notes, then it, allows me to reflect back on those during the course of the day. So I go back to those again and again and again, and over the course of a week. So those principles and quotations become part of who I am. They become integrally involved in my, my writing, my thinking, my speaking. So that's how I do it. I mean, that's how I'm always processing that information. I blog every day. So a lot of things that I read end up in my blogs My goal is to write a thousand words a day, and that's pretty much on track with what I do. So in doing that, a lot of those things find their way into my writing. Well, then I've cataloged it. So then I can do a quick search. Yesterday, I wanted to find something. 
where I had, I knew I had written a couple different times about, I just want a secure job, you know, with guaranteed benefits, no responsibility, that kind of crap that people still dream of, but that is dreaming. But I knew I'd written about that. Well, I just put in the search field and my blog and it instantly pulled up about 30 different blogs that I've written over the last five or six years. So then I have access to that. So once I get it, you know, I read it, I listen to it, take my own notes, integrate it into my speaking, my blogging, my writing, my own writing. And all of a sudden then I've cataloged it. So it becomes more and more real. So I have things that I read, you know, 20 years ago that I know the book that it was in. And really I can go right to the page in that book because I do utilize what I'm learning instantly. It's not just theoretical someday. It's things that I can integrate really quickly. Man, I hope that helps. It's a great question. And, um, yeah, something I really take seriously. Well, here's Diane says, I'm a nurse by profession. And yes, even though the world needs nurses, I don't want to be one of them. What I love most about my current job are the side opportunities I have serving on committees and work groups, such as the customer service committee, the employee association, community outreach groups. I chair most of the ones I'm on seeing a need, gathering a group of motivated people, making plans, seeing them through to change the world. I love it. I want to get out of nursing. I'm hoping that you have some ideas for me on how I can make my love of group work into a successful job or business. Thanks so much for all you do to help us make great lives. Well, thanks for your question and comments, Diane. Here's what I would encourage you to do is don't throw the baby out with a bath. You are a nurse. You already have credibility and a reputation in that arena. Just leverage your desire to work on committees, make things happen, direct processes, I mean, you don't have to be in the, the day-to-day practice of clinical nursing if you don't want to do that. It sounds like you have really are making the transition already. And I would suggest rather than just pulling out of nursing and then going somewhere and saying, well, I'm good at putting groups together and leading committees, and you can do that as a volunteer but not get paid for it. But to leverage where you are in your career, I'd say stay in the medical field and just move into those areas where you are more in the directing, leading arenas. Great question. Dawn from Hilliard, Ohio says, Dan, I read somewhere that a great way to boost your potential. Now I I love the way Dawn frames this. I read somewhere that a great way to boost your potential was to picture yourself as already having success and working backward in your mind, imagining how you got there from where you currently are. To that end, I started setting some money aside for little luxuries These are small things I can afford now, like fresh berries and fruit for breakfast and handmade organic soaps. This technique seems to work as I feel richer just by having them and they keep me optimistic. How important would you say imaginative visualization is in planning your future? Do you have any tips? Thanks, Dan. I love the show in the 48 days community. Oh, I love the way you frame this. Diane love the way you framed it. Yes. I think that's an amazing way to visualize yourself as already having success and then work backward. Okay. What would a successful person do today? We know that that's how that, that being wealthy is not just about managing money. It's a mindset much more so than it is about handling money. Well, it's a mindset. So if you have the mindset of a millionaire, you could start living like a millionaire. Now I've done a lot of things over the years. I've always 
I've always driven nice cars. And it's funny because I drive cars, nice cars that don't cost me anything. And then I see people driving a five-year-old Ford Focus that, you know, is a bucket of bolts, a piece of crap, you know, and they're wondering how I can have the luxury of driving a fine car. It's because I just studied how to buy and sell cars so I can buy a car. I did get a Mercedes 500 SL. As a matter of fact, I bought that car on eBay from a pharmacist in Houston, Texas. I drove the car for four years. Absolutely loved it. It would scream. It was my, my son got a ticket one night because he was doing 140 miles an hour coming back down from Nashville down to our house. Idiot. But anyway, (laughs) it would do anything you wanted to do. I drove that car for four years and I sold it for $600 less than what I paid for it. Now, how many people drive a car for four years and it only cost them $600? I mean, people drive much less desirable cars. I just made a goal of buying cars really reasonably and then driving them. Joanne's got a Lincoln Aviator right now that she absolutely loves. Now she doesn't know it yet, but I'm getting ready to sell that because it's only got about 70,000 miles on it. And I know I can sell it. She's driven it for two years. I know I can sell it and make, get more on it than what I paid for it. I know I can. So I do things like that, that allow me to enjoy the things that rich people enjoy, you know, way before I had any money. And I think the things that you do, the berries, fresh berries, and handmade soap. I, I love those kind of things. And I think you can do those without being irresponsible financially. But again, recognizing that it's more a mindset than it is a matter of managing money. Well, it's a mindset. Go ahead, have the mindset, watch rich people do the things that they do. And that's one of Dave Ramsey's principles. You do the things poor people do. You're going to be poor. You do the things rich people do. You're going to be rich. It's pretty well laid out like that. Well, Patrick, Patrick Fleming sent me a link to an article, which uh, people often do, and I love the links. You all send me videos and interesting articles. This is a link to an article on The Onion. Now, The Onion is a news newspaper, an online newspaper, and it's real satirical. So it, it's funny, funny news, and I love it. Go there often. But he sent me a note from my, this comes from Eugene, Oregon. This is just a real short clip I'm going to read to you. Arriving back at work after a two-week winter vacation, local marketing assistant Matthew Besco told reporters Monday he's happy to return to the office with a fresh and rejuvenated loathing for his job. It's always nice to get away for a few weeks, clear my head, and come back invigorated with a newfound disgust for my place of employment and the various responsibilities of my thoroughly depressing job, said Busco, 38 years old, noting that his time away had inspired him to compete, complete mind-numbing administrative tasks, engage in idle discussions with his aggravating co-workers, and so on. At press time of revitalized, Busco was furiously bawling his fist at the sound of a nearby co-worker's loud typing. <laughs> Just a cute little note. A guy took a vacation so he could come back with a renewed frustration about the job that he had. Well, it happens. Don't be in that camp. I know you're moving out of that. Well, Mike from Cincinnati, Ohio says, Dan, I'm a creative thinker with skills in both design and programming. I'm also dangerous in a brainstorming meeting in a good way. I'm nearly 40 and I'm surrounded by senior and director titled people who are younger and less experienced. I'm often leading them in the informal sense without a title or position. 
I'd really like to know if you have any tips on getting that formal recognition from my supervisors. I think they see me in a position that keeps them comfortable. I'm a dependable machine cranking out amazing designs and programs. I'd really like to help the other machines grow into what I am so that my contribution can scale. I'm tempted to go out on my own, but I'm afraid that then I'd just be a guy taking a walk, not leading at all. <laughs> a lot of people have done exactly that, Mike. They've gone out on their own and realized they're just taking a walk. Nobody's following them. Well, I, again, this is a situation I wouldn't throw the baby out with a bath. I think it's cool the things you're describing. If you're that valued in design and programming, I'm not sure if you just put a lot of value on having the title. Now, if you're getting compensated and you're a valued part of the team, it may be a good fit for you and you can use your design and programming work outside of the job, perhaps to do some other things. Um, if you continue to show leadership though, I would suspect that they're going to recognize that in the company and reward you with the position and titles that come with that. Let it be known. I mean, do your own job performance review. If that's not being done formally, you do it. So you go to them and say, Hey, I'd like to sit down and just discuss kind of where I am. And you review the things that you've done, the new value you've brought to the table, the new revenue you've generated. So you take the lead on that and you take the initiative in suggesting promotions, titles or whatever. I mean, I, I think it was last week I read an email from a gentleman who was part of an IT team and there were 300 in IT at the same company who were being let go. He took the initiative to write a job description for a position that didn't exist, but he had shown some initiative in and he presented that and they hired him, hired him for the new job at higher pay and at a job that was not in existence until he described it, that it was needed. So that's the way a lot of people are increasing their compensation and moving up in their career ladders by creating, describing the position that they want. I suggest that you do the same. Brian from Fresno, California, Dan, since listening to you and reading your materials, I've begun keeping a log of my ideas and light bulb moments for business ideas. And I've gotten excited about several different things I could see myself doing. I hear you say, just get in the game and walk to the edge of the diving board. Then I start thinking about all the things I think I need, like maybe a business name, a licensed tax ID, website, email, and most importantly, credibility in an audience. So I back away from the edge. To continue your game metaphor, I feel like I'm on the sideline of a football game ready to get in, but I have no pads, no helmet, no playbook, etc. Short of standing on the corner with a sandwich board, how and where do I start? Well, you're on the right track. Golly, I, I love the idea that you have these ideas and you think about walking to the edge of the diving board. To put an idea in place today, it's never been easier and less expensive than today. I mean, it used to be when we started talking about doing something on your own, we were thinking about a bowling alley, a hardware store, a service station, a restaurant. Well, those are all extremely capital intensive. You need a half a million dollars to do that. Today, if you want to be in business, you don't need any money. Now, do you need a website? Do you need a name, a license, tax ID, email? Yeah. Now we just covered about $50 worth of investment there. So there's no big monetary commitment. You need to be intentional and strategic. Yeah, you need to do that. But those are not big things. They don't require a lot of time or money or effort. There's a book written by a local guy here a few years ago called Jump and the Net Will Appear. 
Now that's pretty much my style. You know, I never wait for things to be perfect. I just jump in the game and then we refine it as we go along. You see me introduce things like Dan's 48 low cost business ideas as an ebook that I put together in about two hours over a weekend. We put it out there over 90,000 people downloaded that in three weeks. Guess what? That tells me, Hey, that's a pretty hot topic. So then we went back in, dressed it up a little bit, fine tuned it a little bit and offered as both a downloadable and a physical product. And we sell lots of those. So I, but I never wait. I never wait until all the lights are green, just jump in the game. So I'm still going to stay with that. If you need capital, now here's a couple interesting things. Yesterday, Indiegogo is one of the crowdsourcing sites where you can raise money. We did a little project when I launched Wisdom Meets Passion. Had a lot of fun with it. Had people get all kinds of interesting prizes, including two couples chose to pay for a package, $880, where they got, I think it was like four copies of the book, but they also got to come to the sanctuary and spend a night here and have Joanna and me take them to dinner. But just fun things. Indiegogo is one of those. Kickstarter is another one. Well, on Indiegogo right now, there's one called My Drunk Kitchen Tour. Now, this is a little gal who did a video of her being drunk in the kitchen. I mean, it's just a slapstick, goofy, funny video of her putting a recipe together. Well, that video got a lot of traction. She leveraged that. She now does My Drunk Kitchen programs, and she decided she wanted to go on tour. And rather than being sponsored by some big company, Procter & Gamble or Pillsbury or something, she decided just to be have it funded by her audience, her fans. She put out there as a goal of having $50,000 so she could buy a, a tour bus and go on tour. She still has 25 days left in her 30-day campaign, 25 days left. In five days, she's raised not $50,000. She's raised, I just checked a little bit ago, $147,150. she's gotten so she can go on the road and do a drunk kitchen tour. If you get enough people who contribute from your town, she'll come to your town and do a podcast, do a show from your kitchen. I mean, that's that kind of goofy stuff. Pebble, Pebble technology. They had a programmable watch. They raised $10.3 million on Kickstarter. They still haven't delivered, incidentally. That's another story. They had 69,000 customers who put in money and now are waiting for their watches to ship. $10.3 million. So the obstacles to doing something in your own have really been erased. You can get in the game. Get out there, man, get out there and do something. Okay, let me uh, grab one more here. Let me, let me do this. Adam Rico says, Dan, I love all the stories you include of famous and not so famous people in your books. I'm working on an ebook. I'd love to add more stories like these to my book. Where do you find all these stories? How do you keep track of the stories you discover? Hope you enjoy it. Are well, Adam from Sacramento. Well, I read a lot. I get a lot of my stories out of books that I read books like the success principles, Jack Canfield. It has hundreds and hundreds of stories in there about people who have done successful things. Reality check guy Kawasaki. That's another big one. Outliers. Malcolm Gladwell. I mean, books like that give me lots of stories, but most of the stories that I have are real life stories of people that I meet. I mean, Mike Sparks, I just got a book yesterday from Mike Sparks. Um, got it laying right here. It is learn the car business for fun and profit. Now Mike's one that I encouraged to leave Nissan manufacturing. He then 
went into business for himself selling cars. He then became a city councilman. He then ran for office and was elected. He's now in his second term as Tennessee state representative. Just a really cool story. But he just wrote this little book. I did the forward for it. Learn the car business for fun and profit. So those are real stories. I mean, Aaron Stokes was my next door neighbor. He had a $60, $60 box of tools that he started with repairing cars he now has four locations and it has multi-million dollar business in doing European car repair and selling Mercedes, Jags, Benzes, and those kind of things. I mean, look at 48days.net. There's a whole lot of people doing amazing things out there. Jeff David does restaurant reviews. He's coming to our Innovate Conference. I just got a note from him. He's coming to our Innovate Conference in March. He does restaurant reviews. He just started doing that. Now he gets invitations from managers when they're going to open a new restaurant to get him to come do a review of their restaurant and has opened up all kinds of doors. Ted Yoder is coming to the Innovate Conference in March. He plays the hammered dulcimer, wanted to play the hammered dulcimer, an exotic kind of strange machine, uh, wanted to instrument rather. He wanted to do that. He was a carpet layer. He got fired from his job and thought, Geez, I can go get another job laying carpet, or I can try to do something with this hammer dulcimer. He went out the first day, he went out knocking on doors. He had five retirement centers book him, paying him to come in and play for their residents. And he's gone on from there. The first month he made over $7,000, totally unexpected new income, just because he got very focused and intentional about what he was going to do. I've talked about Dorsey McHugh. She's here in the sanctuary, as I am recording this as an artist teaching other ladies, she did the 12 days of Christmas where she did one painting a day, a little eight by eight canvas. The first 12 days of December, the 12 days of Christmas, $300 a piece. She had so many people wanting those and pre-ordering them. She continued it for another 12 days. So she did 24 of those little canvases, one a day, $300 a piece. And then she had about I think she had about eight or nine in addition commissioned from those to follow up with Celeste Davis on 48 days.net just did a book. I was a part of that. She asked me to write a little story and it's, she just asked people to contribute their stories. So she's got about 30 or 40 people that contribute their stories about a new year's revolution, something we did dramatically last year. I'm thrilled to be part of that. So check her out. And those are the kind of things you can pull people in, get their stories, allow people to tell their stories, and you can create your own book from that. Well, we're out of time. Man, the time goes fast. I love this time of the week for me when I get to go look at the real-life questions. Now, this isn't the only time that I'm engaged during the week, and you know that. I mean, I go constantly and see what you all are doing in like our 48days.net community. Um, if you're not involved there, you probably ought to be. If you have an int- interest in listening to this content, you certainly would have a place in sharing your ideas and learning from the amazing brain trust that we have going there at 48days.net. So I'm constantly hearing the stories. I love hearing your questions. I love taking this time to just kind of unpack it. And doing this helps me, believe me, this is not just one directional This is an opportunity for me to rethink, to look at new ways to continue doing the things that I'm doing and to do things better so that we who are on this path can do it better. Those of us who are, in fact, finding or creating work that is fulfilling, meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Have a spectacular week at the beginning of the year.